So when we're looking at executive function, I, I talk to all my people about when we're looking at the behaviours, we need to look at it through the lens of executive function because that's what's causing the behaviours that we can see. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired podcast network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit adhdessentials.com for more details. Coming up in less than a week is the Decoding Behavior Summit. It takes place on February 11th, 12th, and 13th. Join me and many other luminaries in the field to discover what your child's behavior is really trying to tell you, to explore ways to strengthen and protect your relationship with your kid, and to learn ways to improve behavior that are grounded in neuroscience and compassion, all while honoring the neurodivergence of our children. Once again, the summit takes place February 11th, 12th, and 13th, and you will find the link in the show notes to register for this one-of-a-kind opportunity. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and the ADHD Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Maven. Don't forget to join the entire ADHD Rewired podcast network for a live Q&A this coming Tuesday, February 8th, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events to register. And of course, if you want to support this show, a great way to do so would be to provide us with a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. It really provides a signal boost for this show, helping others to find it so that we can help as many as possible. And of course, this episode, like so many others, was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. I'm glad he's been on the team for so long. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we are revisiting a conversation I had with Monica Hassel. Monica is an ADHD coach based in Australia. She and her husband, John, make up Connect ADHD. Monica has presented at the International Conference on ADHD several times, and her work is outstanding. In today's episode, Monica and I discuss executive function, why ADHD rarely travels alone, and the various layers that underlie problem behaviors. We do this through Monica's outstanding volcano model of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. The image for the volcano is in the show notes, and I do recommend that you check it out while you listen to the show. All right, let's get rolling. One of the tools you have to help people with ADHD understand their brain and how it works is this volcano image. It will be linked in the show notes so that people can look at the image while they listen to the show. But I'd love to talk a little bit about it, and we can sort of explain it in a way that even people who are listening will be able to imagine it. Can you walk us through this a little bit? Yeah, I guess, I, that, and that's exactly why we came up with the model, because I was really in, interested in teaching not only my clients about ADHD, it might be 
parents of kids with ADHD or school principals that we wanted to educate you know, schools about or individuals themselves about, okay, there are behaviours that happen with ADHD. And I realised that there were layers of why these behaviours happen, but it's quite a difficult concept to explain. And that's why we developed the model that is able to show different layers. So the bit that everyone sees with ADHD is the challenging behaviours. So um, people will see procrastination. They'll be seeing people not finishing tasks. There's poor planning. Sometimes there's avoidance, problems with memories, there's running late, um, there's distractibility, you know, fatigue, focusing on the wrong things. And yes, these can happen to anyone any day. You don't have to have ADHD for these behaviours to occur. But we know with ADHD, these are pervasive. They happen all the time and people struggle with them on a daily basis. So these traits or you know, behaviours will affect um, relationships. They affect productivity, managing time, um, emotions. And emotions is one of the big challenges that people have with ADHD that, as a rule, society doesn't associate with, with ADHD. They think about you know, the naughty 10-year-old boy jumping on the desk. Mm-hmm. They think of distractibility. Um, they think of impulsivity, but they often don't connect to the emotional part which is why um, you know, I think it's really important that people understand the whole context of, of not only behaviours, but what is underlying the, those impacts. Yeah, that, that's where my wall of awful model comes from, right? That's me trying to explain that to people. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic wall. Um, it's kind of an awful wall, but I get you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's good to know. It's good to know about that there's another way around it. So um, when we have a look, you know, when I explain to my clients that yes, these are behaviours, um, it's not a character flaw. Generally, people will experience these behaviours and they'll get themselves or their children to their GP to, to find out what's going on. And by GP, you mean general practitioner? Oh, general practitioner, yeah. And that's, that's where the process starts in Australia. I'm not sure about where it starts in the US. but Often it starts there, yeah. Or at the school, one or the other. And no one's going to their GP because the child has a creative brain and everything's going well. You know, it's, it's often <laughs> because it's to a point where we're really struggling here when they're going through the process of finding out about is it ADHD, is it anxiety or depression, it'll be diagnosed under core symptoms. So the core symptoms that we know with ADHD, the way they are diagnosed through the the DSM manual, which is like I talk about it like being a recipe book for doctors to to understand what's happening, Mm -hmm. um, is inattention, impulsivity and hyperactivity. But even when we look at ADHD through the core symptoms, it's still not everything. Um, and this, this can add to frustrations. Um, I had one 30-year-old lady who was a nurse, a very intelligent nurse, and when I was explaining to her about when we dig deep with executive function and, and time management problems, she said, I didn't know that was part of ADHD. Right. Why did no one tell me this sooner? I've been running late for 30 years. If I'd known this, I could have addressed it earlier. That's one of the things that drives me craziest about the DSM, mm-hmm. is that especially the time component not really being there. And the fact that it doesn't break executive functions down in a way that's useful, it doesn't really spell out what's going on. Yeah, it doesn't tell us the full picture. Yeah. Yeah. And with that in mind, the next layer of the um, the volcano um, talks about or labels the anxiety that is associated with ADHD, the low mood, the feeling despondent and demoralized. So anxiety and depression aren't to be associated with ADHD it's dangerous to not recognize that as symptoms of ADHD because they can very easily get diagnosed as anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder 
when they're not. Mm -hmm. And you're using low mood to indicate depression. Exactly. Yeah, I, I talk about with my clients being despondent because things aren't going well or feeling demoralized because you've failed a subject again. Mm -hmm. You have to repeat another year of university or, or college. So they're not, that doesn't feel great. And I know, it's, you know particularly with females, um, often when they go to their GP, I'm talking about adults here, they'll more frequently be diagnosed with anxiety or depression as opposed to ADHD. Mm -hmm. Now, in one of my jobs that I do, do I um, do a pre-interview for a psychiatrist and on about five or six occasions of the interviewing um, a mature person that hasn't been diagnosed before with ADHD and males and females, but typically I will hear something like, uh, I went to the GP, I've been on four different types of medication for depression, the chaos is still there, I just don't care about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty sad because what's happening is that they're being medicated for the wrong problem. Right. And I think um, Ari Tuckman, I remember hearing Ari Tuckman talk about this really beautifully and he talks about, um, you know, think of your, your, your brain as like a car and if that, if that car wasn't stopping properly or effectively, it's like taking it to the garage and getting the tyres fixed if really the brake was the problem. You know, we're looking at two distinct different areas and, and changing the wrong challenge. Right, yeah, or, or even it, it used to be making a noise and now it's not making a noise anymore. So clearly that problem is solved. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's why I really want people to know, um, you know, when you're anxious or feeling low because of behaviors from ADHD, it's really important that we can make that discernment between coexisting conditions that travel with ADHD and ADHD itself. Yeah. So you're sort of asking the question, is it the anxiety or is it the ADHD? Mm -hmm. Is it the depression or is it the ADHD? Like which one's going on? Is the anxiety causing ADHD like symptoms? Yes. Or is ADHD causing anxiety or are both of them happening? And, and sort of the same with, with depression. People with ADHD can certainly have generalized anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder or OCD. But not everyone with ADHD has both. Mm -hmm. So they might just have ADHD and not the, the other depressive disorder or generalized anxiety. So once they treat the ADHD, that anxiety might go away or that feeling low might go away. Yeah, because it's not diagnosable. Like one of the things I tend to run around on my soapbox with, I have two soapboxes and I just sort mm. of stick one on each foot so I can walk around all yeah. the time on my soapboxes. I often talk about how I've never met anyone with ADHD who is not also affected by anxiety. And it's not necessarily the case that that anxiety is diagnosable. It might not rise to the level of clinical generalized anxiety disorder or social anxiety disorder or whatever. But everybody who has ADHD, the effect of having ADHD, the result of having ADHD is that you get hit with anxiety, maybe not all the time, but often. And certainly anxiety becomes severe enough and now we're getting hit with depression. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just we're worn down by ADHD and now we're getting depressed. But that doesn't mean that you're getting diagnosed with depression. So I really, I'm really glad that we're sort of splitting this hair right now. Yeah. And, and saying it's entirely possible that you need to pay attention to this with your kid. Mm. It's in fact probable. Mm -hmm. but both don't assume that they have a generalized anxiety disorder 
And also, don't assume that they don't have a generalized anxiety disorder. Exactly. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a well-known um, saying that says ADHD rarely travels alone. Um, and that's why I thought the volcano is really important to say, that, yes, there can be anxiety and depression and, and learning challenges. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, separately, there can be coexisting mood conditions. There can also be coexisting academic. Yeah. And you've got in the image sort of background volcanoes that are representing those two other options. Exactly. You know, particularly with uh, learning challenges. So people can have learning challenges with ADHD because their mind is somewhere else or they're, you know, they're distracted, or they didn't hear it um, because they were fiddling with their pencil, which is different to when someone has a, a learning disability, such as dyslexia, or dysgraphia, or dyscalculia. And it's interesting, quite often I hear in my adult clients that come to me that haven't been diagnosed with ADHD before, and they haven't been diagnosed with a learning disability, um, the frustration that they come to see us with. I mean, no one comes to see us because everything's happening, you know, the way they want it to. They're coming to us often vulnerable. So one of the biggest things I find is that there's often a, an undiagnosed, I mean, they get the ADHD diagnosis, which is why they see us, but they say, well, why can't I write my assignment? And I think dysgraphia is one of the ones that really gets overlooked. I mean, dyslexia is quite easy to pick up because they're, you know, they're writing their numbers, you know, the symbols aren't, aren't correct. But with dysgraphia, they have the information there, but they just can't get it out. Mm -hmm. which is frustrating. And then they you know, blame it on the ADHD, which it may or may not be. It's a separate thing. But I think it's important that people understand the fact that it doesn't travel alone means that this is something to be considered as well. Right. And sensory processing disorder kind of plays a similar role in a yes. different way yes. to dysgraphia. Mm -hmm. The kid is more aggravated than they necessarily should be or more upset or has trouble focusing. And we Oh, it's ADHD, right? They're having trouble managing their emotions or having trouble paying attention. Like, yes, and it may also be the case that they're overwhelmed sensorily mm. by a smell, and that's making it hard for them mm. to pay attention in class, or by the feel of their shirt or the tag. Like when I was a kid, man, the tag in a T-shirt that they used to do yep. drove me crazy. I used to rip them all out, and I had holes in the back of all my T-shirts. I was that kid. And it makes it harder to process information because you're constantly being distracted by this sensory effect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They think that not concentrating, but the concentration's there, but they can't do anything with it. Right. Yeah. They can't process it. Right. Like I know what my teacher wants me to do, but I'm stuck because mm -hmm. I got a tag on my shirt. And that's what you're filtering, you know, not able to filter that out. Yeah. So I think it's really important that people understand the coexisting conditions and then then, you know, as we go back to the volcano, and this all comes down to executive function. So what I really want my people to know is that, yes, there is this diagnosis called ADHD. It's not a great name, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mention those other attributes, like we said, about the emotional regulation or the time management issues. We use Russell Barclay's theory of executive function, and we've just simplified it a little bit. So when we're looking at executive function, I, I talk to all my people about when we're looking at the behaviours, we need to look at it through the lens of executive function because that's what's causing the behaviours that we can see. So the executive functions are attached to the networks that connect to the, the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the part at the front of our brain and that's the part of brain that does the planning and organising. And Russell Barkley talks about this beautifully. He talks about you know, the ADHD, well, the, the brain. Knowledge sits at the back of the brain and, and doing is at the front. And ADHD is the matter of knowing what to do. You know it. Mm -hmm. You don't do what you know. And 
just to even go back a little bit further, I think it's really important that we understand how our brains develop. So as our you know, brains developed, primitive brain was the, you know, the, the brain stem and, and the limbic system, which is the emotional part um, of our brain. Then over a long time, the outside part of our brain became more connected. It was always there, but it became more connected. And the prefrontal cortex is actually the last part that was to develop over our um, evolution. It's the last part that develops as we age, as we mature. Mm-hmm. And I've got one amazing lady um, who's a client of mine, and she says, it's the last part of me to wake up in the morning. Yeah. So in the morning, she can't remember what to do. She has to, you know, she, until she gets her medications on board, she can't remember what she's got to do next. Yeah. So I thought it was a really interesting way of, yes, this progression. It's the last part to develop in humanity. It's the last part to develop as we grow up. It's the last part that wakes up in the morning. It's important to realise that you know, it is the last part that, that develops in an individual. I mean, you wouldn't be able to get a five-year-old um, to organise a wedding, would you? Right. There's too many parts. That part of the brain isn't connected yet. So we need to understand, too, with executive function, that particularly if ADHD is a component, that the chronological age will be different to their biological age. Mm-hmm. I mean, their executive function age, because it's a developmental disorder. And I love the way you said in one of your previous podcasts, Brendan, and I talked to everyone about this, mm-hmm. you're smarter than what you are mature. I think that was brilliant. Playing catch up a little bit. And it nothing to do with knowledge. Um, it's, it's about the doing part. So the bit that I think is important is about understanding which of the executive function networks are at play here. So it's the attentional network. And attention isn't about, like the name says, inattention um, or in the core symptoms or attention deficit. Yes, it's about being distracted easily, but it's also about not being able to shift your attention when you need to. It comes into that hyper-focused state a lot of people with ADHD get into. So attention has you know, several layers. Yeah, and even that, that ability to regulate our attention, to put it where we need it to be. Exactly. Right? That can be hard and, and shifting back and forth, right? Like mm. I had a hard day Sunday because... I, I so I am a Dungeons and Dragons player, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and the guys I used to play D and D with in college and I are all getting back together, and I'm telling the story of the game with a, with another friend of mine, and DMing for those of you who are cool kids and play D and D. We're cool kids now, yay! Mm-hmm. Um, and so my friend and I are trying to create this story together, right? And I came, I had to come home because my kids weren't playing appropriately with a kid who was over. I kind of had to help right. navigate that. And so I come home early and I'm trying to get things nailed down. I get them started and then I go back over and my brain didn't want to shift to manage my kids because it was in full on creative tell a story mode. Yeah. But I had to shift. I didn't have a choice. So I'm forcing my brain to shift and manage the kids and their friend. And that's leaving me cranky, right? Like I can feel myself getting grumpy when I shouldn't be, Mm -hmm. but my friend is over and my wife's request is not unreasonable that I kind of take point on this. It's three boys. I'm a better option. And so then I'm trying to go back into the game after I've re rearranged the plan for the boys. And just when we start going again and I start to get that hyper-focus land, one of those three kids comes back and is got something, some kind of an issue. And now they're looking to me to solve it. Cause I just stepped in. Mm-hmm. It was like every time I started to get to some focus, it would get pulled out from underneath me. Yeah. And I mean, that's parenting, mm-hmm. but I Sunday, I really felt the strain of that. Yeah, because it takes extra, extra resources to have that attention being shifted. And mm-hmm. because of, you know, the biochemistry involved in ADHD, those resources aren't always available. 
because of you know, the, the lack of dopamine there, lack of dopamine availability. So the resources aren't there. So it's harder to do. It's harder right. to transition between tasks. Um, the next part that we look at is inhibition. And I talk about inhibition being like that filter. It's not doing things that'll get you into trouble or saying things that'll get you into trouble. Mm-hmm. So it might, you know, particularly not doing things might be putting on that filter of recognizing when it's time to not playing, you know, to stop playing Dungeons and Dragons or online shopping or being on YouTube, you know, the rabbit holes of YouTube. It's that inhibition, that not being able to stop doing that. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time we think about inhibition in social situations, right? Like, oh, they're just really inhibited and they don't want to be outgoing and talk to people. Mm. But it shows up in so many other areas, like inhibiting your desire to watch YouTube videos and getting out of that rabbit hole. Yeah, and, and inhibition can also be about, you know, that, that talking, people that often talk too much, they're not able to put that filter on. And, uh, you know, I have some people that say, oh, um, I'm ADHD, but I don't have the hyperactivity part. But their tongue is a muscle and it's going at 300 miles an hour. So <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, no. Even, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so inhibition, that is something that people need to, to be more aware of. Um, and then there's working memory. And I like to break working memory down into a few different components. So working memory, it's the memory that we're using while we're working. It's the right now memory. Mm-hmm. It's not like long-term memory that happened three years ago or short-term memory that happened this morning. It's the memory that we're using right now. And when we're using that memory right now, we have enough, you know, a couple of components to, to juggle. And this is time management. And this is where time management sits in with executive function too. It's about being able to draw on information that you need right now in line with time and able to be successful. So executive function success is about planning for now and moving towards success. So for us to be successful, we have to know what we're doing yeah. to be able to do it. And it's the only memory that can go forward, right? Mm. I have to remember to get milk when I go home. You're welcome, listeners. That's memory even though it's in the future, right? All of our other memories are like last week, five years ago. Exactly. So that's one way to sort of differentiate working memory from all of our other memories, long-term, short-term, that stuff. It, it can go forward. And working memory also involves that inner voice that we have too, that, oh, I'm running out of time. Oh, I need to be doing this moving forwards. Oh, I need to not be overly annoyed with myself because I haven't done this. Now I've got to move forward. It's about managing time, information, and that inner voice self-soothing voice as well Mm -hmm. and then the last part of executive function that I like to talk about is that emotional regulation and to to me emotional regulation has several parts to it so I think when I'm talking to parents when they're challenged with their kids emotional regulation they can understand it more easily when I talk about it's it's often the right emotion but it's the wrong volume control so you know all of these executive functions ties in it's about that inhibition that attention when we see a kid with ADHD and they're having a meltdown Yes, they might be upset, but it's way more than what it needs to be. Or if my, with my um, adults, it, um, someone might be concerned about something, but their emotional control is out of whack and they're really worried about it. You know, if they can look at it in terms of that, I think people um, get a much better understanding when, when, when you know, they're dealing with their partners or their kids that it's the volume control thing. But also under emotion comes motivation and there's a lot to be said about um, motivation, um, but you know, really, our brains—it comes down to our brains. So our brains like to be comfortable. So if we want to be motivated to do something and it seems a little bit tricky, our brains might prefer to 
stay comfortable and procrastinate. Um, what I explain to my clients in terms of emotional regulation is that we're all motivated to do something. Uh, we may not be motivated to do the right thing. They might say, I've got my assignment to do and I'm not motivated, so I, I watch Netflix instead. Well, you are motivated, but you're just not motivated to do the right thing. And the reason why people tend not to be motivated is that the activation is made difficult because they don't know what the first step is or the first step is too big or the first step might seem too boring, particularly with that ADHD brain. So, you know, I get them to understand activation as opposed to procrastination. How do we make that first step more manageable? Often by using support for our working memories, such as writing things down. Mm-hmm. A lot of my clients will wake up in the morning, they won't remember what to do. They won't activate to something because they can't remember what it is they have to do um, because they haven't made the time for it. So if we can um, make clear plans for them and make sure the first steps aren't too big, so they've got to know what the first step is, it can't be too big and it can't be too boring. Okay. So we have to sort of understand where the reward component of ADHD is as well. And that's looking at future self, which, you know, as you said, you know, the working memory helps us towards future memories. Now we're starting to play executive functioning algebra, right? Where it's like, yes. it's sort of working memory yeah. plus emotional regulation equals stuff. They all work together. I sort of think of the prefrontal cortex as a CEO of the brain. And then I think of um, the executive functions as like the board of directors. And they're kind of delegating actions to the workers. That's the dopamine part, and that's where everything falls apart. <laughs> exactly. Interestingly enough, that's the next layer underneath yeah. of, on the volcano. Um, so underneath the executive functions working properly is the dopamine, but also noradrenaline availability. And that's you know, that's, um, you know, the difference between maybe your stimulants and your non-stimulants. Your non-stimulants work on the noradrenaline pathways, whereas your stimulants tend to work with dopamine as a rule. But, you know, um, dopamine noradrenaline availability isn't just about medication either. And that's the important thing I want people to know. Um, what also impacts those, the neurochemistry that's needed is, you know, the mum stuff, diet, sleep, rest, right. exercise. Yep. Parents always told us about this, seem a bit boring. It's really critical. It's crucial. And, and at the moment, there is a, a lot of information out there about, you know, the benefits of sleep. So, you know, as far as pillars of treatment go, I think, yes, we have to have our neurochemistry in place, but we also need sleep and also mindfulness. And even a good practice of mindfulness can affect our neurochemistry as well. So my sensei has recently been getting more sleep than he used to. Mm -hmm. And, And his mindfulness practice is amazing, right? The guy's like a billionth degree black belt in Kempo. So he's got Mm -hmm. the mindfulness stuff because he brings in that meditative side of it with qigong and and tai chi type stuff as well and and chi work which you can believe in it or not not believe in it but that's in there he does that sort of mystical side of it as well as the physical side and so for years and years and years and years he's been living on six hours of sleep he gets up at like four in the morning because he drives a truck as his alternate job and he's been getting eight hours of sleep for like three or four weeks now and he and We've had many conversations, he and I, about how I'm like, Phil, you got to get more sleep. (laughs) No, I'm fine. It's good. And he's not wrong because that mindfulness side is supplementing and supporting his lack of two hours. But now that he's getting those two hours, he's like, I'm going to have to go back to six hours soon. And I'm not loving that idea. (laughs) He's talked about how he's noticing now that he's getting more sleep that 
although he's good at regulating his emotions anyway, mm-hmm. he sort of has to put some effort into doing it. And now that he's getting those eight hours of sleep, he doesn't really have to put any effort into regulating his emotions. Mm. I can't stress the importance of sleep. And, and so, you know, at the bottom of that volcano, if we combine a good neurochemistry from whatever source, and, and generally it's a combination of all of them if possible, that will affect the, the way your executive functions work. And that in turn, sort of, you know, as we travel up the volcano, that will help with, you know, the behaviours that we see at the top. Just to sort of walk folks through it, if we have that neurochemistry managed through medication, through shred, right, sleep, habits, relationships, exercise, diet, which is my model for the mom stuff, as long as we got the mom stuff nailed down, yeah. then, and also healthy ADHD strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Time management, calendaring, lists, writing stuff down, like you mentioned, then things are going to be okay. But if that neurochemistry is not managed through strategies, through diet, through medication, et cetera, then it starts to expand just like the magma in a volcano expands. Mm, mm. And eventually it's going to rise up and it's going to hit the executive functions with that neurochemistry. And now we've got challenging behaviors blowing out the top with a lack of productivity, relationships falling apart, emotional dysregulation all over the place, forgetting things, being late, not managing our time well, just not being able to focus. And along sort of the seams of your volcano, you've got these little cracks that go to learning and that low despondent mood and the anxiety and substance misuse, which we haven't even touched upon yet. Mm. But those fissures and cracks, there's also sort of this pressure gets released in those areas as well. Mm. They're just not as directly connected to ADHD in the typical population. For us, we're like, no, that's all the same stuff. But but for the general population, they're going to be more associative of forgetting to do stuff, just not doing yeah. things, being late, losing track of your attention and those sorts character of things. Character flaws, yeah. Right, yeah, which are totally not character mm-hmm. flaws. Am I, am I sort of understanding yeah, this exactly. yeah. correctly? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because we can't change what we don't understand properly. Right. We have to have this good understanding. And, and once people see you know, this volcano, it kind of all makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal model. It's awesome. I really love it. Thank you. Do you have any anecdotes or stories about the folks you're working with or have worked with in the past that can kind of illustrate some of this maybe? Um, when I'm talking about you know, um, a client that came to me with ADHD and uh, he's about 30 years of age and he was an IT guy in the past. So was tired of working with computers, wanted to work with people. So he started doing nursing qualifications. What he found was it was really difficult to get his assignments in and he was, wasn't sure if it was ADHD, if he was procrastinating and we worked through all that and what was getting in the way. He had a lot of knowledge about what he wanted to do and what he wanted to say in his assignments but he just couldn't put it into his computer which would seem unusual for someone that had worked with computers for you know 10 years. So right. what we kind of figured out was that he had the knowledge, but he just couldn't process the information um, in terms of being able to get the thoughts together to put them in a logical sequence. And this is part of dysgraphia as well. So in kids, you might see it in messy handwriting, so motor dysgraphia. But as people, as their demands for education get higher, I see it in that they're not able to process the information. So that's a language-based dysgraphia. The language is there, they can't sequence it, and they can't get it out. 
Mm-hmm. And this is very frustrating for this young man. He almost failed his course because he couldn't get his assignments in and kept asking for extension after extension. And when you have extensions for people with ADHD, I don't think it's a great idea. It's kind of like living on borrowed time. Right. The task is still there, but you just can't do it. And it's frustrating. So when we understood that it was a processing issue, we thought, well, how can you, you know the language, how can we get it out there? So we arranged for an accommodation for him to be able to give his um, presentation, his assignment uh, verbally because mm-hmm. he could talk beautifully, but he just couldn't sequence it into words on a document. Awesome. So that was, that was one of the first times I really realised that this dysgraphia was such a huge impact with people with ADHD and it could be confused with ADHD. You've got me thinking of one of my clients yeah. and wondering if this might be going on mm. for him. And I've seen it with lots of my clients too, which is, you know, why the, the ADHD volcano is important, but the coexisting volcanoes are also as important as well. Right. Yeah, they absolutely are. Like you said, ADHD rarely travels alone, right? It's just, it's a member of this gang of ne'er-do-wells mm. that want to mess with our ability to process information mm-hmm. and live our lives. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I literally think of it as a social group sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, because... ADHD is like best friends with anxiety, but anxiety like kind of doesn't care about ADHD. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Like anxiety is sort of the, the narcissist of the mental health world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, as long as you let me get my way and do what I want, like I'll hang out with anybody. Yeah. And join you with your little mental health issues and I'll make it worse because mm-hmm. then I get attention. Mm. Yeah, look at me, look at me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I think the most essential thing is to get good information about what's happening and understanding is key. So yes, there's ADHD behaviors, but don't look at ADHD just as ADHD. We need to look at it in terms of the lens of executive function as well. Mm-hmm but not just executive function. We also need to take into account the other things that travel with it. And that is the sort of thing that will help people function better in their environment. At the end of the day, um, we want people to function better in their environment. And my job as a coach and your job as a coach too, Brendan, is to put ourselves out of a job. Right. So, um, you know, I'm really happy if my, my clients get good education first. We run through some strategies. We understand what's happening. We put the right strategies in place. I mean, understanding executive function helps you know which strategy, where to put the strategies. If you just go straight to strategies, you can waste a lot of energy because they won't work because the executive functions aren't understood. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.